The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. All right, good morning, everybody. And at this hour, when the 421A tax abatement expired in January of 2016, the city's investment sales market had just wrapped up a banner year. $77 billion worth of commercial property traded hands, nearly 24% higher than the last market peak in 2007. Sure, buyers were upset that the price of land was getting out of hand, and it was harder to make multifamily projects work out. But the city's uber luxury condo market, while showing uh, cracks, hadn't yet become unglued. And the rental market was still on the cusp of recognizing a glut of new supply. We'll talk about all of that. Also at this hour, price cuts have been a fixture of the Manhattan luxury market uh, for over a year now, but maybe starting to slow down. Sellers cut the asking prices on 33% of Manhattan apartments and townhouses in the third quarter of the year, down from 44% the second quarter. This, according to the Wall Street Journal, We will also get an update on the Hamptons market here in New York, plus the panel is here as always for Hot Topics. But first, I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. I am Vince Rocco, and this is Good Morning New York Real Estate. You can find us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or you can always email me at vrocco at halstead.com. In celebrity real estate news this morning, a former U.S. president and his wife aim for a classic pre-war Upper East Side co-op at 10 Gracie Square. That has been home to everyone from Gloria Vanville to Madame Shanghai Shek, and so it is being reported that Barack and Michelle Obama are that couple. Keeping up with the Obamas since the couple left the White House last January has been a game of international intrigue. They were all about keeping a low profile, enjoying rest and relaxation, including a trip to the Caribbean and Hawaii. However, a new report from the New York Post suggests the Obamas might be the buyers of a $10 million apartment at 10 Gracie Square, which would expand their real estate footprint from Chicago and Washington, D.C. Rumors from 2016 of a Rancho Mirage, California, purchased by the family, was finally debunked. Just when you thought you were safe from any more Bon Jovi-related real estate news, the energetic frontman and philanthropist has done it again. Thanks to the Wall Street Journal, we know that the Jersey boy has settled on a high-floor corner condo in Greenwich Village paying $18.9 million for a 14-floor unit that was listed for $19.5 million. The latest building is part of the Greenwich Lane development on the site of the former St. Vincent's Hotel. There are five multi-unit buildings and five townhouses included in the new development, which combine restoration and new construction to create 198 units. Bon Jovi's uh, building is one of the new construction projects in the high-end Greenwich Lane, noted for the large formal garden around which all the buildings stand. He has a four-bedroom, four-and-a-half baths with sweeping views of downtown and the Hudson River. 
when Emmy Award-winning actor Alec Baldwin isn't busy spoofing Donald Trump on Saturday Night Live, he returns to his other obsession, real estate. He seems to be more in love with the Big Apple than ever before, stealthily buying up multiple apartments on a single floor at Devonshire House, a grand pre-war building at 28 East 10th Street in Greenwich Village. Now, according to the city property records, Baldwin has bought another unit, his third on this floor, for $1.31 million in an off-market transaction. He grabbed apartment 12G. This amassing of 12th floor real estate has taken place over several years. In 2011, Baldwin bought the penthouse 12E for $11.7 million. That four-bedroom unit is a spacious 4,137 square feet. The next year, he bought an adjacent 840-square-foot unit on the same floor for $1.21 million. Records show he also bought and subsequently sold another apartment in that building last year. So, good morning, everybody. Morning, Vince. Good morning. All right, I'm here with uh, Sean McPeak from Compass, Raymond Lord from Douglas Elliman, and Matthew Cohen from Core Real Estate. What's happening, guys? There's a dog Schmitzen. in the room. We have <laughs> a special guest today. We have a special guest star. Noodle is her name, and she's been with me all weekend, and she's, well, she's taking care of herself in her bag this morning. Special. Well, well, I'm surprised how well she's behaved. It's amazing. She's, she's, she's behaving better than me. She need a cup of coffee? That's Isn't true. That a fact? <laughs> that is true. She, she, <laughs> she had a little sip of my coffee because she couldn't resist herself. Anyway, she's adorable. Uh, I wanted to talk about uh, the 421A tax abatement mm-hmm. program because it's so prevalent in, in a lot of New York real estate. Uh, the 421A tax abatement is the tax term you are most likely to come across during your New, New York City uh, home search. The 421A tax exemption program began in 1971 and it originally encouraged the development of, of underutilized or unused land by drastically reducing property taxes for a set period of time. Thousands of Manhattan condos were built under this program prior to the 2008 housing crash. The exemption usually lasts for 10 years, but can be for 15 or 25 years in some other boroughs uh, and in also upper Manhattan areas that are still in development. So from your experience, um, folks, how how does this program work? Actually, why is it so popular among buyers out there? Uh, a lot of a lot of developers will claim that they won't be able to build without it, without the exemption. Um, and then for buyers, it uh, drastically lowers your monthly costs. So I've always pegged the property tax to be around a dollar a square foot per month. Um, that might not be like the most correct metric, but I think if you look at it, properties without a tax abatement, you'll probably be around that dollar a square foot. And this made it extremely affordable for people to buy, you know, 10, 15 years ago. When you, can, when you combine it with the, the common charges or the maintenance, you know, it becomes very affordable for overall monthlies being very low over, you know, a sustained period, you know, a 10 year period. However, it does generally increase 20% every two years until you get to that max number in year 10. And I know anytime I'm selling new development, people say, so what is that end number? How is that end number determined? Well, you, I mean, can't really, you can't give them an exact number because, you know, city politics can actually have a lot to do with it. And then that's also the city tax as part of that. So that increases every year anyways. So, I mean, I'm sure you tell people, I can't tell you exact the exact to the penny what it's going to be, but you can generally give them an idea. There are projections in the offering plan approved by the attorney general, and that's basically what we can quote. But as you just said, you know, there's city politics. There's a whole bunch of things that can go on and do go on. So you don't really know where that end number is going to be. But there are so many people who want to put a science to it or, you know, a math calculator to it, and they want to know what that exact number will be. And when you tell them you really can't 
say. I mean, they they don't understand that. I pushed them to ask the attorney as well because mm. I went through a scenario like that, and it was near the end of the abatement, and I had the attorney answer that question. Yeah, you're you're always better off pushing to the attorney stuff like that because even though they can't come up with a better number, they have a way of explaining from a legal perspective or a tax perspective what makes the most sense. I mean, listen, we're real estate agents and we're not, you know, gurus of everything. And when it comes to something as nebulous as that, here's the projected number in year ten. I can tell you from year one it's gonna increase twenty percent. And that's about it. I have another question. Are there geographic limitations to where a four twenty one A Applies. We're not talking about a J51 or anything else. We're talking about 421A. Are there geographic limitations? Well, I was going to say that it's, I don't know if there's limitations, but I do find um, it very interesting how tax abatements actually change throughout the city in different neighborhoods. Because if you look at, you know, certain buildings that were built within the last 10 years in Harlem, for example, they have, you know, not only do they have 10-year tax abatements, they have 25-year tax abatements. And the taxes are nothing as opposed to, you know, some other places in the city, like, for example, downtown, you might have a tax payment that is still $100 a month, whereas in Harlem, it'll be like $8 a month um, or $1. Um, I also have found recently that tax abatements are not being given as, sh- not not strongly, because we all know that tax payments aren't really being given at all with, you know, by the government lately, but, um, or in the last three years, but projects that have gotten them have been a lot stricter I've found um, like when attorneys investors, are doing yeah. yeah when attorneys are doing due diligence um, they always come back to my clients and say you know it's not like a full tax abatement for example when you actually look at the offering plan or when you look at the um, when you look at the schedule um, and the, you know look at projects like Hudson Yards that have tax abatements and their taxes are still a little not hefty but you know considering what the project is but you know comparative to other things they're not you know, $100 a month. Well, aside from geographical location, the building age can have something to do with it. Uh, I think an interesting one and one to, you know, help you kind of uh, understand the process is um, uh, the Satai 40 Broad downtown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you actually have two different tax abatements in the same building because one of the uh, the lower part of the building is actually um, the original office building they converted and then the top half of the building is new construction. So you have a different tax abatement in the new units, quote unquote, than the converted units. It's also the um, the Toll Brothers project in the West Village is a good one too, um, yeah. because it's a it's actually a land lease that they got a tax payment on. I thought that was really fascinating. That's I had never very, seen something that's like very that. fascinating, and I don't even know how that could be possible. Well, but that I mean, it, it kind of scared me. To that's be a honest. whole another level it, of complication. I, I thought my, my client was very funny. He was like, "If this scares you, I don't really know how I feel about it." Yeah, because then well, you have the if it, the land lease is coming to like near its end, and then you have the abatement. It, that oh, yeah. just sounds it got terrible. Really messy. Yeah, uh, for well, first of all, and you've heard me say this many times on this program, land leases are really uh, can be a frightful, complicated mess, well, and then you go add that on top well, of it. Forget it. Well, the irony of the tax abatements is that they actually drive up land prices um, for developers, and then they drive up apartment prices for everybody else. They're <laughs> therefore not making it affordable for to buy in Manhattan or right. in some of these hot spots in Brooklyn. <clears> getting back to something that Matt said before, typically it's a ten-year abatement here in Manhattan, and fifteen years or more, twenty twenty-five years in the outer boroughs or the upper Manhattan areas where they are considered still in progress or still in, you know, uh, gentrification um, or, or, you know, building to to become what Manhattan proper has become. So it's usually 10 years here, 15 or more in the outer boroughs or in uh, northern Manhattan. 
We now have something dubbed the Affordable New York Housing Program that sort of replaced the the original 421A that went away in 16, as we said. So how what what is that about, and how is it to differ from what the original 421A is? I mean, you're talking about 80-20 housing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, this is one of my favorite topics because I think it's very funny, um, for lack of better terms, that in the city we consider a low-to-middle-income housing for an 80-20 project to be something around, you know, it could be like seventy to a hundred thousand salary a year. I mean, um, I remember when I was graduating college, I was killing to make over fifty thousand a year. I mean, so um, you know, I, I think that's something that this city needs to work on. Um, I've always felt that way. But then again, when you look at salaries in this city, I think it's really hard to actually make a good judgment call and analysis for how you should divide the 80-20. I think it's going to be, I think everyone in the business, especially, I think buyers out there as well should really focus on what's going on in Upper Upper East Side and East Harlem because you're, they just got approved a lot of rezoning for that neighborhood and you're going to see a lot of new projects and you're going to see a lot of tall projects and because of the location, because you're near the hospital, because you're near, like you said, a lot of gentrification spots, um, you're going to see what happened in Central and West Harlem a few years ago, which is getting abatements that are longer, like 15 to 25 years. And that's going to be very attractive to not only, um, you know, I'm very intrigued to see who purchases there because you're going to see a lot of investors, I feel, but you're also going to see a lot of people who just, you know, work at the hospital, for example. Um, I think it'll be very interesting. How about the South Bronx? Sobro, as, as we're calling it, I mean, that's a prime location for, you know, new developments, gentrification, 421A tax, probably, I'd, I'd say, uh, 15 to 25 years, you know, 15, 20, 25, depends on, on what, but I would very curious to see where that's going to go. Anyway, we got to take a break. We're live from Blast Off Productions here in New York City. This is Good Morning New York. We will be right back after these messages, so don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. 
You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are yes. back, and Phil Horgan has joined us yeah. from leasebreak.com, Sean McPeak from Compass, Ray Lord from Douglas Elliman, mm-hmm. and Matthew Cohen from CORE. All right, guys, so a buyer is not using a broker and is buying a co-op and has been looking at some for sale by owner listings. The buyer is wondering if he buys one of those apartments and he isn't working with a broker, who helps him with the board package? And is it a difficult, oh, by the way, it is a difficult building and a difficult board package. So question, hey, I don't want to work with a broker for my own crazy reasons and I'm out there shopping and buying on my own. Now it comes down to the most critical part of the transaction and I really don't want to do it myself. So what what happens? Well, what happens is that the seller's agent is going to help you put the board package together. But there's no seller's agent. There's no seller's well. agent. Oh, there's no seller's agent. Sell sell by owner. owner. Oh, sorry. So in other words, no buyer's agent and no seller's agent. Okay. Is the owner on the board? Let's say for the sake of this conversation, not. Totally a better. They recuse actually. themselves anyway. They have to board. recuse yeah. themselves anyway. Yeah. This does happen. Listen, it does happen. I mean, maybe their attorney. Maybe their attorney would help out. I mean, I've seen attorneys. Kind of pitch in for the board packages before. I've seen that. Uh, personal assistant. I mean, if you have an assistant, maybe they'll help you with your package. But Look, there are some buyers call that put it together. Asian friend. Yeah. <laughs> so but basically, I'm getting at one point, okay? Yeah. And the point is, why take this on yourself when there is a whole array of, you know, very talented, this room filled with talented agents? Why do you want to do this on your own? I think people really don't understand when they get into the co op buying mindset how complicated it can become. And mostly, at that stage, the board package stage. I'm going to share a quick fun story that might not shed good light on me, but a year ago, I helped a client of mine sell her apartment, and um, she's one of those people who didn't feel like she needed a broker to help her buy and only sell. So I sold her apartment for over ask, mind you, and um, she found a co-op, and it was a for sale by owner. And um, she got into contract and a month into getting into contract, she called me and she goes, I don't know what I got myself into. Um, Can you please help me out with the board package? It's much more than I thought. Um, You know, I'll give you a flat fee to do it for me. And I was like, no, I'm okay. But I can can walk you through some of the steps if you want. I was like, I'm not going to take money from you, though. Um, Trying to be really nice about it because, you know, I'm such a nice guy. And so um, I I helped her as much as I could via phone um, because she was actually not in the country at the time. And... Oh, that makes it even worse. Yeah, right. And so, but the owner, but the owner was like, I know the board, like we could scan the board, package them, it's fine. She got a board turned down um, and I helped her buy something else. So I think that the point of the story is that whatever a purchaser thinks that they're gaining, especially when buying a co-op, is not worth it. It's not worth it. The cost of failure is extremely high, too. Right. It's it's very high, and there's also a timeline that's associated with it. So you're back on the market. You wasted all this time. You're stressed. You're you're arguing with your you know your girlfriend, your wife, your husband. But the one thing is, don't forget that a lot of these sellers, well, in this case, the sellers, aren't willing to pay. A buyer's agent. So that's sometimes what happens. So a buyer goes to a property and the seller says, I don't want to pay a seller's agent. And normally the seller is the one that pays the broker fee. So it is an unrealistic situation to think of a buyer who wants to use an agent, who wants to use an agent, but the seller does not want to use an agent. And it's unrealistic to assume that the buyer then will pay 
the broker fee in that situation. So I guess I'm, I'm just trying to make the point that there are some situations where this does unfortunately happen. Um, and we could have the same discussion about whether we think a seller should be using a broker or not. Of course they should, but it could get sometimes sometimes it gets tricky as well. Well, I, I had a situation many years ago, uh, mm-hmm. fairly similar to what Matt mm-hmm. said, only the seller decided in a very complicated co-op, Lincoln Towers over here on the west side, horrible, horrible boards over there. Anyway, so she decides she's selling on her own. After I pitched it and a couple of other agents pitched it and she came back and said to us, well, you know, I think I'm going to do this on my own. How hard can it be? Whatever. (laughs) So then she also goes out and finds a direct buyer who's not working with an agent. Well, P.S., you know, of course, it was a major board turned down. The phone call to me was like, I need your help. Please list my apartment and please please find somebody who can pass the board. <laughs> months, as Sean said later, you know, months later, you know, two or three months down the road, because the, the process takes that long to complete a package, submit a package, and then get approval or not. So she learned her lesson. Uh, and we completed the transaction nicely. But, you know, there's a lot of time wasted and a lot of frustration. Just do it right the first time. And people who want to avoid, you know, this is a plug for agents, of course, but people who want to avoid working with agents really don't understand how they are hurting themselves because there are nuances in this process, especially co-ops, that are very important. But wait, to take the agent out of it? For our listeners out there, to Phil's point, I think that everyone, I think that not everyone, I think the public is getting the point too, because I got very excited yesterday because one of my clients um, is looking to purchase an apartment and we were breaking down what he, uh, you know, a few apartments that he was interested in. And one of them was a for sale by owner and it was actually his favorite one. And he said to me, I get a weird vibe by the fact that he's he or she is selling themselves. Mm-hmm. It it gives me the feeling that they're either not a real seller or that you know something will go wrong. Okay. So the public is definitely catching. That. That's so, true. Actually, yeah. to Matt's point, I also I also think that uh, if you talk to buyers or sellers that have worked with agents before, especially just minimal competency, I'm saying they will in my experience, always work with an agent again and they realize the value they bring. It's usually the first-time buyers, the first-time sellers that choose not to or maybe someone that has ha- had a horrendous experience. I guess my point, though, is that, and I hate to always like, tout ourselves too much, but the truth is it's so complicated. Like to, It really there's so much involved. There's so many little nuances to putting a board package together to getting through the board, to putting an apartment on the market, to marketing it, to, to vetting buyers. Right. There's so many aspects to the business, and it's, I think people just don't realize it because they do it themselves in so many other aspects of their life. And people yeah. aren't going to have time, especially in this city. Yeah. You're not going to have time for all that. And yeah. sellers really need to remember as well, and I remind people, if I get pushback on commission, I would tell them, like, I should be charging you 10% because at the end of the day, it's a tax write-out for you. It's 100% deduction on commissions paid. Absolutely. Um, so condo packages, I just completed three of them. Condo packages are getting so much worse than they ever were. Yeah, silly. In fact, this one uh, building there now, they are exactly like co-ops. I mean, the, the amount of information they're requiring is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So people, you know, used to think it was easier to buy a condo and it was, it still is, but now they're, the boards are making it a lot more complicated. So at least in a couple of buildings I've recently sold, and we seem to be on par with 
the difficulties or the complications of a co-op package. And, you know, the last one I just saw, I, I couldn't believe what they were asking. Well, why do you think, guys, why do you think that is? Because ultimately a condo really can't deny you. Well, I think it's the management companies. I think, especially when the market's strong, your management company's fees go up. You go to different parts of town, Tribeca, for instance, management company fees are out of control. You think it's to justify the fees? Just no, yeah, I think, no. That's totally what they're asking so much. I think, oh I my God, yeah, absolutely. Everything is so much more oh. expensive in Manhattan than anywhere else in the country. But some of the fees with these packages are off the charts. I actually, I actually don't agree. I don't think it is the management companies. I think that you're seeing a lot of changes on boards throughout the city. I think that people are going off boards and new people are coming on. And I find that a lot of people who are buying condos or buying co-ops these days have done the opposite in the past and they've learned from both experiences. And I think that um, co-ops are getting less strict actually lately. Um, and I think That's condos true. are getting more strict. That's so true. I think, so I think they, they're kind of doing the opposite because they want, they, they want, they know that it will never be on the same level, the same playing level. But I think that they want to even yeah, but it out then a little bit ask, more. Why isn't all this stuff digitized? Why? Why do you have to? Amen. You know, yeah. Print out an entire hammer mill, Amen. you know, case of paper in order to submit a board package like when a everybody has a. I mean, you know, my eighty-year-old grandmother in Germany has an iPad and knows how to use it. You know, I could send it to her and she could read the board package. Yeah, but just to play devil's advocate, I think that you know, aside from being eco-friendly and not using paper, like you could, I think that real estate is just one of those things that is always going to have some classic aspects to it like the transaction process with so and to that point I mean you know think about how we always talk about how real estate brokers should always remain a constant I think that this is also one of those things I mean if you argue that you know one could argue when a buyer's attorney is doing due diligence why do they have to go to the management company's office to read the minutes like why can't they just read minutes in an easier way an explanation of what's going on you know in the building I think that's 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 justified 100% but the actual forms the credit checks the you know the payments oh I can only take a bank certified check I think it just justifies fees for, for the people that are processing this stuff. And I think that's a part of the industry that's absolutely ripe for disruption. So It has started it, to change, though. Have you noticed? I'm sorry. Vince, yeah, I didn't not say. really. Like, well, like what I mean a is like, bit, on the really. margin, I've noticed that a higher percent, maybe it's 5 to 10% of board packages are now like apply port. Have you guys heard of that? And they're yeah. horrible. Where, yeah, they're horrible. Yeah, they're, they're frustrating. But where it's electronic and you you put your email, your seller's email yeah. address yeah. in, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's more of those I now than when I started. You're absolutely correct. I find that a lot of these companies are just like resistant to it because they're getting their $350 for processing their $1,000 for this or that. I just, I sold an apartment in Long Island City. So part of the mortgage process is to have a, a questionnaire filled out. The bank needs it mm-hmm. for from the, the managing agent. $200 my buyer had to pay to get this questionnaire. When I tell you, when I saw it the other day, yesterday finally came through, it was half a page, eight and a half by 11, scribbled in by someone at that managing agent in right. LIC. And he had to pay two hundred dollars for that. First of all, I, I get I get wild over this stuff. It should be a standard form that goes out. It looked like it was created for this one particular <laughs> buyer. Scribbled in, I could hardly read it on my iPad. Wow. And I'm thinking <clears throat> this should be cookie cutter. Pull off a shelf. This mortgage guy needs it. This appraiser needs it. This whoever needs it. Update it once and a month. You go to you go to one spot on their website to get all the all the due diligence. Everything. Why you do is this not? The way no, it is. Because it's by design. You know, this is management companies are and probably the most part of the process. I mean, agents have, you know, evolved incredibly. And, you know, we're. And we had to chase technology. this per- particular person. It's a smaller company. Chase this person for three and a half, four days because she was traveling over the long weekend. And I'm not in my office and I don't know. No one else can get it done. 
I mean, but, but, not want but wait, as much as management companies suck, like the banks are sucking too. I mean, come on, a bank can't use the same questionnaire the same thing. as the an same attorney. Problem. Like, correct. I don't you're, understand. You're I never understand that. You're well, absolutely correct. Because they're making money the in a hundred different directions off every transaction. That's where anyways. the problem yeah. starts. They cannot. And and as a result, everybody's chasing somebody. And and, and I always say, and who's chasing me, right? Well, I mean, the, where is you know, every, every every seller and every FISBO and people who like hate to use brokers or you know think they're going to save money, they don't even realize how much money is actually inside is getting taken out of these transactions by all these other hands in the pot mm-hmm. um, that are really inflating the price of the real estate for them. You know, and it's interesting because especially in these condos, when you turn around and rent an apartment for an owner, the same fees apply. And when you're talking about a studio or a one bedroom, these people can't afford no, these you can fees price them out of control. It's insane. You price them out and then the owners get upset because you can't rent the apartment and they don't really want to understand. Yeah. And then like December rolls the around and you're like, okay, you're going to have to pick up the, you know, the board fee and, you know, it's then it, then it hurts. So. All right. We have to leave it there and take a break. You're listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back. Don't go away. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Everybody, we are back with Phil, Sean, Ray and Matthew. All right. The relationship between a tenant and a landlord is by nature transactional. Uh, there's not getting around the fact that you're living on someone else in someone else's property. And this being New York City, probably paying quite handsomely for the privilege of doing that. But the dynamics can be so much more complicated than that. Most New York renters have experienced the vulnerability of needing their landlords to come into their apartments for repairs and come lease renewal time, have their breath Uh, and hoped that they wouldn't be hit with a sky-high rent hike. So even some even rather live in the same building as their landlords and are privy to the ups and downs of their private lives. So listen, you know, rental buildings are not unlike co-ops or condos. You're living with large groups of people. But in this particular case, the landlord, you know, is the person that you need to be nice to because you want to renew your lease probably and you don't want too high of a rent increase. How... 
you know, first of all, what makes a good landlord? And and secondly, how do you, you know, cultivate this relationship with your landlord so you're you feel safe, whether it's a big managing agent who owns a building or an individual owner who owns a building? Mm-hmm. Pay on time, important. number one. From the landlord's perspective, they tend to want a tenant that's quote unquote hassle free. That's like what I always hear from landlords. Like I just don't want someone that's calling me every two weeks about this and that. That's ideal. So keep that in mind as a tenant. I would say try not to go to the landlord for every little thing. That's something that's very important to them. They want their rent and that's that's really the most important thing. From a tenant's perspective, they want a landlord that's responsive. So if there is a problem, you want someone to take care of that. Um, so I would say you, your, your question was, I guess, how do you cultivate the relationship? I mean, like the most important thing I think is, like you said, pay your rent on time. And, and don't be a pest. Yes, and, and exactly. Really. And think, just think twice whether it's something you could take care of yourself or if this is something you really have to get the landlord involved in. I would just say it's worth taking that extra thought of, you know, is this something the doorman could help you with? Uh, maybe the super. You don't, don't have to really get the landlord involved for this kind of thing. Again, whether it's an individual owner or it's owned by a, a management company, and sometimes there's a rep from the company who lives in the building, mm. and sometimes not. But you know, these are all good points to securing your longevity in that apartment and in that building. Because again, we all live with lots of people, um, and you know, mm. for long periods of time, and we want to just have. Would you say earlier, happy living, or just live in a, a hassle-free, a hassle-free environment? Yeah. <laughs> you don't want any issues, and I know I don't want any. Yeah. All right, moving on. When moving into a new development, there are many aspects of a condo life that can't be gleaned from touring a model apartment. Buyers getting their new keys may find themselves faced with unseen issues uh, when their building's transformation from the developer's control to that of the condo board, like what to do with construction defects and how to figure out a building's budget and expenses. How often do we see this problem? So, for example, I'm currently selling a new development. People come into the model homes. They're wowed by it. They love it. They this. Maybe they buy. And then, you know, that's one set of, you know, expectations. And then when you move over the line to closing, you close, you get your key, you move into a new building, and now you see that it's not everything that you thought it would be or it's not there yet. What I always Mm -hmm. tell people is it's growing pains, guys. You've got to let the building grow and expand and become its own identity. It's brand new. But there are lots of problems in that transition. I think this happens way more than we have yeah. a metric for. Absolutely. Like, it's funny you bring this up last week. I was in the city all week and I visited a friend of mine who just bought a, a condo and she <laughs> she had a laundry list of items that they had to do and it's a brand new building. Like, like punch list stuff? Punch, punch list stuff. stuff that was yep. just yeah. crazy. They, you, you look at the punch list and you you realize like they didn't really think about it. Like the shower was leaking because they, they didn't have the, the proper you know, ceiling and all this stuff. It was just, it was unreal actually. Yeah. I think there's enormous risk in buying a new development that I think sometimes people don't realize buyers don't realize and even agents don't realize this is one of the uh, reasons why agents will recommend that you buy in a development from a developer that has a good reputation because some of these developers know about all these things and they've dealt with them many, many times. And they know that like, I just like related, for example, I mean, they just tend to do a pretty good job from top to bottom. I'm sure we all have, maybe we have problems Uh, where they just do a bang up job. I mean, and you, you know, if you're buying in that building, sure, there's going to be some issues, but they'll be minimized. You know, you buy in a development where they've never had a development before in Manhattan or even New York city. 
there's an enormous amount of risks, you know, and buyers don't think about it. I mean, they just don't. They just assume, well, there's all this, there's a lot of money here. I'm sure it's being taken care of. However, you know, when people come through, at least the building I'm in, a lot of people ask, so who is the developer? And then you tell them who they are and they've got this question mark, puzzled look on their face like, well, I never heard of them. You know, so I don't know how they process and, that. Then, you know. like, do research or use right. a better broker? I mean, I'm sorry if you're looking. I have no sympathy for people who look into developments who don't have a broker who have experience with 100%. it. You know, and also when you are a buyer or for agents out there who are starting, either getting into the business or starting to show more new development. Think from the inside out. I hate when people say that a building's really pretty. And then they go inside and they're wowed and then they have a lot of issues after they close. 56 Leonard's a perfect example of this. Those apartments have major issues. Um, you know, fishbowl buildings are not always the best when it comes to, you know, just little intricacies that are not done perfectly. Um, you know, at the same time, Phil says a you know, great thing. Like I, I'm a huge fan of this project on the Upper East. It's several clients of mine are, are purchasing and I have another closing there next week and it's um, 389 East 89th Street. Mm-hmm. And Magnum it's, building. right, and it's Magnum. Magnum is a great developer. It's also a conversion building where everything was already there. It's a like, great that's, building. It's, it's a hu- and, but it's not it's a, a pretty building from the outside. No. You know, but it's beautiful on the inside. That, that's what matters. You want well, things to work correctly. It, it's very post-war looking on the outside because that building's been there for Forever, but you're right. The inside is spectacular, and what they've done to those apartments are yeah. amazing. The Paris Farino. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You actually yeah. bring up a good point that conversions. The, I mean, there are some risks with conversions as right. well, but you could make the point that there is less risk just right. in terms of at least the physical construction of the building and the right. piping and the plumbing. Exactly. Yeah, and plumbing can be, and you know, you can have issues. a good developer, and mm-hmm. then uh, the subcontractors, um, you know, are cutting corners on them, and then you know, there's also develop a great developer. I sold something with a great developer involved. Um, it ended up getting delayed by a year, and now we're having major problems with sound through the floors. And we're talking over well over two thousand a square foot, yeah. super fine craftsmanship. I'm not going to tell you the address right now because <laughs> it's getting to a legal level no, 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 of issues. But so. you're you're absolutely correct. I've been with developers too who have been in- amazing and incredible, but their contractors and subcontractors take lots of you know shortcuts, shortcuts of and you know you don't realize it until every the dust is settled everybody moves in now the roof is leaking now the floor is you know askew the building is settling in the wrong direction and sometimes they get another project during the project and they right. take their eye away and look at part away. of the reason for this is because the developer is out in yeah. a lot of situations. I mean, less. They sometimes they're not there every day, of course not. Right. Mm-hmm. But I mean, they're, they're, look, their goal is to sell out the unit, sell out the building. and They're focusing well, on sales and marketing. You know, I mean, of course, the better developers, like we said, they don't have just that I'm selling and getting out of here type of right. you know, outlook. But that that is, unfortunately, there's, the incentives are not aligned. Well, then there's, a, then there's a really bad guys who actually have a, you know, they budget for a gigantic legal war chest <laughs> and they plan on getting sued and they're mm-hmm. just going to drag you through the mud and, and bleed you oh, out yeah. with legal fees yeah. uh, because the guy hasn't is offering plan $150,000 for legal costs. And, and <laughs> as a buyer, just, you know, be cognizant of what's going on. When when you're looking at apartments, when you're looking at buildings, don't be starry-eyed. You know, really look. And, and also, you know, don't put... Put the right amount of emphasis on the sales team for the developer because, I mean, Vince, you're you're a great sales agent for developers. And that's because, you know, a lot of times you'll go into a building 
and the sales agent who works for the developer will show you the model. And that, that'll be like the biggest point of their showing. And then if they can get access into the actual units that are empty, they'll kind of do it fast. And there's a reason for that. Um, you know, you, on the other hand, for example, will you'll show the model that's staged and it's meant to be beautiful. You know, and then you go into the unit and you, you say, like, take your time, look at everything. You know, really look at it. Because, you know, if something's not right, after you close and it's say an issue on the punch list or it's not even on the punch list and then you realize it like it's no fault but the buyer unfortunately so you know you do a great job for your developer you know buyers just be aware of what you're looking at you you also when you're selling on site need to understand the full scope of the project that is the construction team that is the development team that is the design team that is everything because people come in and want to know everything and they will ask you all kinds of questions and you need to be credible you know credible and confident and whatever else i always say gets you more success so thank you for that matt but uh it's really important to make sure you understand and represent properly moving on price cuts have been a fixture of the manhattan luxury residential market for over a year now but maybe starting to slow down sellers have cut the asking price on 33 percent of manhattan apartments and townhouses in the third quarter of the year down from 44 percent the second quarter, according to the Wall Street Journal, price reductions also slowed in Brooklyn with 25% of homes reduced in the third quarter, down from 35% in the second quarter, according to that publication. Brokers are saying that the reduction in prices may represent a recalibration of the market. How are you seeing this? Recalibration of the market. I mean, what percentage of those numbers are high end, I guess I would ask, because you said 30 something percent of townhouses and it's it's the whole uh, Magella. It's everything. That's interesting. I mean, I think I, a lot I, of people who had unrealistic expectations, as we always talk about on here, but there's a lot of uh, people who are reaching and. You know, I even had a habit of it since 2010 of trying to push the the next sale, the boundary of the the comps in the building. And I don't think a lot of people are selling for over the last comp right now. And right. I think it's been happening for more than a year, maybe a year and a half. People have not been pushing the envelope of prices. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think buyers notice, and that's why we've had a little bit of a slowdown. And people who want to sell need to lower the price to what it's worth, basically. I think a good rule of thumb, I was, I was with a bunch of top agents recently, and they all agreed that, we're pretty much at the same price as we were two years ago. Like if you have that mindset of like, I'm going to price what it was around two years ago, maybe even three, depending on the situation and could be one depending on the building, but generally two years, that's a great sort of just initial benchmark. And it also explains to the sellers right away what's going on. Cause sometimes they just assume, well, this sold for this last year, I should be getting more this year, but they'll understand very quickly. If you say, look, prices haven't moved in two years. So we're at, we're, we're, that's where we are. We're at 2015, 14 prices. Now, again, that's not always a situation depending on, but I mean, that's right. just a good mindset. So yeah, I mean, there's definitely a calibration. Right. What's I, happening in the Hamptons? So I think you're right, Sean though. Cause even in the Hamptons, we find where people are, t- what I say, you know, we have a lot of sellers that are actually selling. They're testing the market. Mm. So they put things on because they want to see if people will pay for it. And once they realize, hey, this is unrealistic, they have to adjust it to the market price. But how unrealistic are they? Is it 10% more than they should be asking? 20%? I mean, what is the the, the number? So right now in East Hampton in general, um, East Hampton Township, Montauk's a little different, but we're seeing things transact between 5 to 7% off at a realistic asking price. But you'll have for this just happened to me actually. This developer wanted to put a, a property on. It was a spec project, and I told him from the start put it on at one nine nine five because beyond two million dollars it was molasses at that point, and he wanted to put it on two for two three five, and it sat and sat 
and set. And then he eventually moved it to 1995 and now it's sitting still because he missed his opportunity. But he missed and the now opportunity. now he's chasing the market in the wrong direction. Right. So you, you find those situations and it's frustrating because you're trying to help them and they can't help themselves. I also find, and I think we talk about, I don't think, we talk about this a lot, the need for very educated, you know, talented brokers. Sorry, needs to be closer to the mic. Um, is at an all-time high right now because of the fact that comps are becoming more and more difficult throughout the years. You know, you, you know, some comps are more renovated. Some comps, you know, have certain sellers that have issues. I mean, it, it comps seriously, like comps are all over yeah, the place. I, just you know, <laughs> like like there was, um, you know, a building. I do a lot of business in Tribeca. Um, I mm. used a comp that was a, the same line in the building a year ago, and then I found out that the seller needed like a six month post closing, you know, occupancy. Um, so they're just comps are becoming much more difficult to accurately depict and accurately evaluate. So it, it's just more and more important to do that correctly. Six right. months post-closing? Sorry. Yeah, I, no, go ahead. Did you just say six months? A rent back. Yeah, back. A rent back, you mean? Mm-hmm. The thing mm-hmm. is, so are they getting a loan or no? Because the problem with that is banks won't even allow that usually because then it's an investment property for well, that the was, buyer. That was the comp. I didn't the sell that one, so that was the comp, but I believe it was an all-cash oh, situation. Okay. Yeah. All right, all right. We have to leave it right there. We're live from Blast Off <laughs> Productions here in New York City. This is Good Morning New York. We'll come right back after these messages. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their product. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Aliens with Gas, we are the Extraterrestrial Rock Show, airing every Saturday afternoon on the VoiceAmerica.com Variety Channel. <laughs> Whatever happens out and about, it kind of dictates our conversation. For sure. And we like to tie in a little bit of the past and obviously keep it real current. And real current was a couple nights ago right here in Phoenix, a phenomenon happened. On Thursday night. Phenomenon. 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 All right, never mind. <laughs> That's every Saturday right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back like to the never show. Did deal with disaster. We're All right, right everybody, we are back, and I'm yeah. sitting here with Phil Horrigan from LeaseBreak.com, Sean McPeak from Compass, Raymond Lord III from Douglas Elliman, and Matthew Cohen from Core Real Estate. And Matthew's on a roll this morning. 
off mic, which is kind of funny. Anyway, in the market for an apartment, then you'll probably be disheartened to learn that according to the latest real estate sales market report, the median sale price for Manhattan co-ops just set a 28-year high at $850,000. Additionally, the median price for resale properties, the majority of them are co-ops, also hit a 14-year high at $995,000. This is not surprising, according to appraiser Jonathan Miller of the firm Miller Samuel, the author of the report, who says the increase in prices perversely comes out of the traditional gap in prices between condos and co-ops. Co-ops have been flirting with price records for years. Co-ops tend to be less expensive than condos, and consumers are on a desperate search for affordability. Inventory in the co-op market is sliding and remains tight. How is the co-op demand in your businesses? I mean, I see, for whatever reason, in my particular business, I'm not working with co-ops at all lately. At I mean, not at all. Not that I don't want to. It's just... Everybody seems to want a condo. Yeah, I've got like, oh, aren't you lucky? <laughs> <laughs> I've got, well, I've got a couple I, buyers right now that you know, they're kind of like they're like, oh, they want to pay co-op prices, but mm-hmm. you know, they're really in the market for a condo. Mm-hmm. You know, one's a one's a girl whose parents are buying for her, and you know, she's sending me, you know, she's texting me last night at ten o'clock. You know, let's check out this place. It's only five fifty, <laughs> and her budget's over a million cash. So you know, it's like, why do you want to live in that apartment? But they don't understand the. Uh, the, the way it really works and that, you know, she'll probably have a, you know, pretty crappy neighbor or something. You know, she's like 22 years old. I actually, I mean, I have seven listings on the market right now and five of them are co-ops and, um, you know, four of them have contracts out. Uh, so I definitely see the demand for co-ops. I mean, I definitely see more people, um, going for them these days. I just find that sometimes these buyers don't actually think through every part of the co-op until the contract's actually out. Absolutely. Um, thankfully I don't think it actually scares them to the point of backing out, but I do find that, you know, sometimes they'll be like, Oh, by the way, what is the exact subletting policy? And, and Oh, by the way, how does the board feel about this? And, um, you know, I, I, think there is still demand out there i just think it also depends on what the co-op is like and again brokers need to be better brokers need to constantly be you know just educating themselves more and more and trying to read up about these not even read up but get to know these co-ops more and more like we always say louise forbes is great at that because you know she's done business in these co-op buildings forever and so she really knows them in and out i mean i have a client that we just submitted his board package and um the the board requires the full purchase price in post-closing liquidity and I mean, yeah. we, obviously, that was a big shocker. But you're right, though, as far as making sure that the broker you're working with has some semblance of an idea, because that could be a showstopper. You buy the apartment, you get an accepted offer, you go to contract, now all of a sudden you go to a board process and you realize, oops, you know, no one told me that I have to have equal, uh, you know, liquidity in the bank that matches the purchase price. And some are like 50%, some have no requirement, but yet they do, but they won't really say so, but yet. You got to figure it out. So it's when you're when you're selling co-ops, you've got to try and find out as much information. But why is the inventory sliding, or why is it remaining tight? Is it because but a lot co-op of people for- co-ops they're not listing? I, I mean, mean I, you know, I don't I don't know if I agree with like there's a new thing where co- the demand for co-ops is greater than condos. Like I think a lot of it depends on the profile of the buyer. I mean, and that just really dictates yeah. it. I will say though that you know one thing to think about. I think about this a lot is that no new co-ops are getting built. Only new condos are getting yeah. built. So over yeah. time, 
the difference between the share of co-ops and condos is going to change. There's yeah. going to be less co-ops as a yeah. percent of the total and more condos. So that, to me, is also a reason why the price gap maybe is narrowing a little bit. Because the reason why, one of the reasons why condos are so expensive is because there's so few of them, and the demand is very high. But as that changes, I think we will see more of a price to uh, to his point. You know, in I've, I've, I read you know I read something the other day. Just and this makes perfect sense. I think uh, people don't have a reason to sell, and there's no there's been no major recession. People aren't losing jobs. People aren't being forced to re- take out their equity of their apartments. So they also can't buy anything if they sell. You know, most yeah. of these people look at it like if I sell, what's the point? I can't buy. Yeah, anything. they're not making like a 10, 15 percent. That's a very big point. Justify. That's, that's a very big point. That's the first thing I would say. But the second thing is that we're seeing. It's to what you were saying, Phil, is that you have a buyer pool that predominantly can't afford a condo realistically. And the co-op is their their only avenue into purchasing something. And I feel like, especially with like our Matt and I's generation for sure, is like that's the situation you're forced to buy a, a co-op. I think uh, what people, you know, what people fail to realize right now too, like we see it because we're, you know, we're seeing the transactions every day uh, that you can sell at a good price, but you can also negotiate, you know, with these new developments, some of this other stuff. So people out there who are, you know, looking at prices and saying, I can't really afford or it might not be worth it because I'm not, you know, getting anything extra on my sale. It might not necessarily be true if you negotiate correctly, uh, especially with the new developments. I mean, there's definitely discounts out there. I tell Big sellers in the Hamptons that all the time. Your competition isn't local anymore. It's here. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this on the show mm-hmm. before right. in that developers will give you the kitchen sink because they can't move this stuff sometimes. Yeah, they so, need to get out a lot of, a yeah. lot of them. And the word you're looking for is urgency. There's no urgency. Right. No, there's no urgency. And some of my closest friends in the business, like Vince, are you know heads of new developments. They're, they're sales directors in new developments. And we constantly have this conversation like, how are you doing? How are you doing? You know, there are buyers that are circling, but no one really feels the need to pull the trigger. I mean, they feel like they can wait. And good on those buyers. They're that, pretty educated. That's a that's a great well, yeah, they are. Pretty, they're they're educating educated. themselves <laughs> because there 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 is no urgency. Love that. And they're just taking their time. But I also say uh, that what will it take for them to find that right place? Right. You know, if you're not urgently looking for an apartment, then why are you looking? You know, apartments you should be a, a buyer should be out there looking at apartments if they're ready to go if all of their ducks are in line, their mortgage is ready, their financing is ready, all cash, whatever it may be, your attorney is in place. So I agree with you, Matt. I mean, again, whether it's my resale business where I have a lot of listings or, you know, in the building that I'm selling, people come in, they ask all the right questions, they fish around, they look at this, they look at that, they may come back a second and third time. And then you think just when they're ready to pull the trigger, they just completely vanish. Well, when last week, when one of my listings got an accepted offer and we, we got a contract out, um, the same day we got the offer that we now have a contract out with, um, another broker calls me and she goes, two of my buyers came to your open house last weekend, not really looking seriously, but they loved it. So they want to make an offer. And I was like, oh, okay, well, make the offer. And then a few hours later, I get a call from her. Uh, they actually decided to wait. 
I mean, I mean, you're right. Like if you're, if you're looking, if you're not looking seriously, I mean, that's fine. Like go to open houses, explore. That Absolutely. sounds great. That's but but, open but, but why engage? Well, but here's what I think, because well, I, I had two, two apartments in the last three weeks, accepted offers, contracts out, buyers vanished in both cases. Really? That's Gone. surprising. That's actually surprising. Gone. That happened so many, uh, two you said? <laughs> that's yeah. so weird. I bumped that's into them on the subway. I was going to say that, uh, look, I, I think there's always trade-offs. Like we always talk about in buying an apartment, right? There's always trade-offs you have to make. And when there's no urgency, the buyers sit home and they think, well, I, why do I have to make these trade-offs? And they just they get cold feet. However, if the market is continuing to go up or say interest rates, there's a big threat they're going to go up in a big way, then they have that urgency and they're willing to make those trade-offs. So that's why I say like that's, that determines the market. That's the reason people, it's not that people are, happen to be out there that are less serious. They're just as serious as they always were, but they don't have that extra urgency because the market, the prices aren't going up. There's not a fear that if I don't buy this now, the prices are going to be up six months from now. You know what I mean? There's not that fear. They feel they feel confident that eh, the trade-off's not there. They're, mm-hmm. The trade-off's aren't correct. This isn't perfect for me. I'm going to wait. All right. We have to leave it there. We're out of time. That's our show for today. Thanks to my panel. As always, until next time, <clears throat> be kind to one another for all of us here at Voice America all around the world. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.